If you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, and this morning we are beginning a a new seven-week journey that's going to take us through this chapter in the Bible, a journey that we are calling Foundations. Uh, Two years ago, we began a three-year series where we said we were going to walk through Matthew's uh, chapters 5, 6, and and 7. We were going to do it over three years. One year do Matthew 5, one year Matthew 6, one year Matthew 7. And this this chapter, these three chapters combined, give us a picture of Jesus' first sermon and his longest sermon. And let me just say this, only Jesus can do that. I think about my first sermon. I got up and I was um, young. I was probably 20 years old. And I basically said everything that I knew from the Bible. And seven minutes later, I was closing in prayer. And uh, that, that was it. And uh, that was the best I had at that moment. I don't know if my sermons have gotten better, but they've gotten longer over the years. And I'll just, I'll just leave it at, at that. But here's what we did. We began in 2015 with Matthew 5, where uh, a series called City on a Hill. Then uh, Matthew 6 last year, where we uh, covered the series Seek First, the Kingdom of God. And then we now come to Matthew 7. And let me frame it this way. Matthew 5 shows us how a person enters the kingdom of heaven and how a person lives as a citizen of the kingdom. Matthew 6 shows us how we worship the king um, from here, from from earth. And then Matthew 7 shows us how we relate to each other. And then at the end of the chapter, it shows us how we personally relate to the teachings of Christ. And Matthew 7 begins with probably the most quoted and I would say least understood scripture in all of the Bible. It should come as no surprise to us that probably every single one of us in this room has a favorite Bible verse. Some of us, like myself, I have a favorite verse for probably every circumstance. So um, every circumstance, there's a different verse um, that I'll say this is my favorite verse and what I mean is for that moment or for that day or for that thought. But we all have favorite Bible verses, yet we are not alone. Um, For the non-Christian, they also have a favorite Bible verse, and that Bible verse is most often Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. Unbelievers know very little about the Bible, but they do know that Jesus said, judge not. So um, they don't care much about the Bible, but they do know that Jesus said, judge not. Unfortunately, the verse that they love most, they often misunderstand or um, just don't understand um, at all. Never, never has a passage of Scripture been so utterly abused, misunderstood, misapplied as this one. And so you have non-Christians and then you have some misguided Christians who use this text to denounce anyone that would ever say anything negative about anyone or anything And just think about this, according to the world that we live in, according to the world that we live in, it is never okay for anyone to condemn anything such as adultery, homosexuality, drunkenness, gossip, lying, cheating, stealing, fornication, abortion, any non-Christian religion, humanism, or anything else that the Bible calls sin. You can't do that without incurring The wrath of multitudes who are convinced that Jesus said, never do that. So we can't possibly ever speak against anything the Bible says is sin without being told you're not supposed to do that. So the common thought has become that for a Christian, we only have two alternatives. 
Number one, either we keep our mouth shut, or number two, we open our mouths and we are condemned by a world who says they don't believe in Jesus. So just, just think about that. And the irony, of course, is that in judging us for judging others, they are doing the exact thing that they are trying to hold us accountable for, which kind of becomes a little comical in that picture. But think about this. Not only does the world, the world around us see this verse as a condemnation against ever judging, so many people say, who are you to tell me that I'm wrong? Who are you to tell me that what I am doing is wrong? Not only does the world see it that way, they also see it as an affirmation that we should accept everything. So not only should we never tell somebody they're wrong, we should say, hey, what you're doing is right because you think it is right. And let me just make this very clear. Hear this. Although Jesus does call us to unconditional love, he calls us to love others the way he loves us. Jesus never calls us to unconditional acceptance. Let me say it again. He calls us to unconditional love. He never calls us to unconditional acceptance or approval, meaning that we just accept everything and throw the Bible out the window. But think about this. Jesus always called sin a sin. Jesus didn't say, oh, bring your little mistakes to me. And, and I'll, I'll overlook. No, Jesus called sin, sin. But then get this. In the midst of calling sin, sin, then Jesus showed how his grace and how his mercy and how his love could overcome that sin. So the question for us this morning that I want us to look at and jump into is this. Can we still love people and not agree with them? That seems to be the question of the day, right? Can you really say you love somebody and then say they're wrong? How can you tell someone you love them and then say, I don't agree with this? Or how can you tell someone they're wrong um, at the same time without breaking the command of Jesus to not do that? So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look at the word, and then I want us to go where Jesus takes us. I think that's a good way to do it. Um, look at the word and go where Jesus takes us. And we'll stick with where he takes us. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's word. We're going to read Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6 together. And then dive into this word. And I'm going to tell you, if you're here this morning and you were hoping for a, a great, encouraging word that would fill up your, your um, emotions, this isn't it. Um, I'm just going to tell you off the top, this isn't that message. But there's something about understanding that these words are written in red, meaning they're Jesus' words and they're words of life um, that's going to help us in this life that we're living. So therefore, let's draw in. And I, can, I promise you, it's going to end. It's going to end well. So if for some reason you go, asleep, go to sleep in the middle of the service, ask the person next to you, say, get me up at the end. You don't want to miss the end. But let's, let's start at the beginning. Matthew 7, beginning at verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. And God, in this moment of, of this heavy word and this word that is so needed in our culture, we are asking 
Um, oh God, for you to lead us by your spirit into truth. Help us today to see everything that, Jesus, you want us to see. Help us to go, Jesus, where you take us in these, these six verses. And God, help us to choose, Lord, you and, and your word over the opinion of our culture. Help us to, to choose truth over what feels good in the moment. God, help us to choose you. Starting now, God, we pray in your name. Amen. You can be seated. So when we think about the culture that we live in, when we think about the culture of the church, we must say that this picture of, of judgment is a huge issue. This, this picture of judging is a huge issue in our, our culture. So the question becomes this. Did Jesus really tell us never to call out sin? Did Jesus tell us to always keep our mouth shut? And this is where we say that if Jesus did tell us that, then, then Jesus did not set a very good example for us. For a majority of Jesus' ministry was spent confronting sin. Think about the amazing, heartfelt, beautiful, kind words that Jesus spoke to the self-righteous Pharisees. Think about the kind words that Jesus said to them, such as, you're a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You are serpents. I mean, think, think, think of these things that he's telling them. So if the world's interpretation of this verse is wrong, and I'm here to tell you it is, the world doesn't have a clue how to interpret this verse, the question then becomes, what does Jesus mean? So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to unpack three, three truths that will help us navigate through this heavy and this misunderstood topic. And you're going to have three truths that are going to be on the screen. I want to encourage you to take notes so that the person next to you doesn't judge you for not paying attention um, to the pastor's message. So uh, that, that will be a, a help and at least pretend like you're taking notes so the person won't, won't judge you. But we're going to just jump into these, these three amazing truths or, or even deep and difficult truths. But like I said, it's going to end well. So the first is this. We must first see the restriction against judgment. So the first truth we have to see is the restriction against judgment. In verse 1, Jesus begins by saying, Judge not that you be not judged. And I think it's important that we understand what Jesus is saying and understand what he is not saying. Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones says, The command to judge is not a requirement to be blind. Jesus does not tell us to cease to be men by suspending our critical powers which help to distinguish us from animals. But he does tell us to renounce the presumptuous ambition to be God by setting ourselves as judge. Or according to D.A. Carson, neither does this verse command disciples of Jesus to be undiscerning blobs who never under any circumstance whatsoever hold any opinion about right or wrong. So what we're going to say is this, Jesus is not forbidding us to make declarations concerning right or wrong, good and evil, truth and, and error. He's not. And you might say, well, how do you know that? I know that because it's called context. Look at the context of the sermon and look at the rest of the New Testament. Just think about this sermon here. In Matthew chapter 7, right after Jesus says, judge not, he then goes on to command two more things. In verse 6, he says, don't give... Um, Dogs what is holy and don't give your pearls to pigs. So don't do that. And then in verse 15, he says, beware of false prophets. So the question becomes for us, how can we know who are the dogs and are the pigs? And how can we know who are the false prophets unless we are judging and are discerning? 
So the only way we're going to know that is if we are discerning and judging them. Or just think about the rest of the New Testament. In John 7, Jesus says, do not judge by appearances. That would be what not to do. I didn't include the rest of the verse. I wish I would have, but the rest of the verse says this. It says, do not judge by appearances, but, according to Jesus, judge with right judgment. So Jesus says, here's what not to do, judge by appearance. Here's what to do, judge with right judgment. The rest of the New Testament is filled with verses that tell us to confront, avoid, test, look out for, and not, wel- and not welcome people, um, ideas, actions that are contrary to the gospel. And here's the problem. Here's the thing. I think we've got to be very, very careful in this area. For the temptation to be judgmental is very real and is very powerful. I was thinking when we were singing that song, your praise will ever be on our lips. And I was thinking, if only that was true. For how often is praise not on our lips and instead judgment is? How often are we not praising and we're condemning? And we've got to be very careful. And what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's prohibiting the sort of judgment that we pass on others, not because we're concerned about their well-being, but because we want to make ourselves look better. The kind of judgment where we say, if I can bring them down, then I can bring myself up. If I can squash them, then I can lift myself up here. And here's the problem. Anytime you and I get rid of the standard of God, and let me just stop there and say, do you know what the standard of God is? So if, if, if I were to ask you, what is God's standard that he sets for us, what would you answer? And of course, my answer would be Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48, where Jesus says, you therefore... Be perfect, as my Father in heaven is perfect. That's God's standard, perfection. Here's what I know. I got up at 6 o'clock this morning. By 6.15, my perfection was gone for the day. That's what I know. By 6.15, gone. Didn't take long at all. And most, most of you understand, I'm sitting at the computer studying, and all of a sudden, the computer goes dead because I didn't have it charged. I mean, There it goes, perfection out the window, it's gone. And most of us, we have that picture, and and all of a sudden the perfection goes out the window, but here's the picture, here's the point for us. When you and I do away with God's standards, we will always substitute it with our own. The Pharisees did it, and so do we. But then when we give our own standard, then guess what? We become the judge of that standard. And we judge people based on how they fit what we think is right, what we think is wrong, All the while, what we are doing is ignoring the high and holy standard of God. So what I want to show you real quick, I wish it was up on the screen. I didn't have time to put it on the screen. I want to show you three flaws of self-righteous judgments. Three flaws that come about when you and I become self-righteous and when you and I judge. First flaw is this. Self-righteous judgment manifest or show a false view of God. So anytime we are self-righteous, it shows that we have a false view of God, that we don't see God the way we need to see him. The word translated judge here means to condemn. What it it means is that you come to a negative conclusion about someone, and then you say, guilty. So you have the negative conclusion, and then you not only judge your juror and your sentencer, and you, you show them to be, declare them to be guilty. And here's what we have to understand today. Brothers and sisters, you and I, we are not in the condemning business. If God needs someone condemned, he can do it without us. He doesn't need us to do it. He doesn't need our help. God will take care of it. 
So therefore, let us renounce the presumptuous ambition to be God and let us realize, here's a good, here's a good truth. God doesn't need our help. God doesn't need your help or my help to judge the world. But God, you, you must not have saw what they did to me. And God is saying, oh, you must have missed what you did to me. But we'll get to that in a second. But self-righteous judgment manifests a flawed view of God. But secondly, they manifest a flawed view of others. What that means is this. You and I, as much as we can look at people's lives, we have no idea why they do what they do. We have no idea why, what, we have no idea what hurts, what pains, what circumstances people have experienced to make them who they are. We don't know that, but God does. God knows those things, and it's clear from the word of God, get this, that we can only see what is on the outside. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, God says, you, being man, being me, you, you look at the outward appearance, I look at the heart. You look at the outward appearance, I look at the heart. So think about this. All we're able to see is the flesh. Therefore, most of the time when we are judging, we are judging based on the flesh and we are judging in the flesh. So we're judging on the flesh, we are judging in the flesh. It's kind of our problem. It's what we, what we do in that picture. And it's a terrible thing to think about. The reality is we're, in that moment, we're not concerned with helping people. We're only concerned with condemning people. And just, just think about Think about what your life would look like if you got joy and you got pleasure, you took pleasure from condemning other people. What would that look like? What would that say? And then third, self-righteous judgments also manifest not just a false view of God or others, but a false view of ourselves. And let me just say this, brothers and sisters, you do not know what you are capable of. In fact, according to the word of God, you don't even understand your own heart. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or wicked. Who can understand it or who can know it? Sometimes when, when you and I, parents in this room, when we have um, one of our children, small children, who does something wrong, we'll look at our children and we'll say, Why did you do that? And our children will look at us through tearful eyes and they'll say, I don't know. And let me say, parents, that is not a cop-out. That is actually a theological, truthful statement. That is, so when your kids say, I don't know why I did that, they're speaking biblical. They're speaking godly truth to us. Because you know what? They don't know why they do what they do, and we don't know why we do what we do. Every single one of us has things in our past where we look back and we say, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I participate in that? And the answer is, we don't know. Other than the fact that we are sinful, we don't know. So here's the kicker. If we can't understand our own hearts, then how in the world can we presume to understand the hearts of other people? If we don't know why we do what we do, then how in the world can we say we know why they do what they do? And let me just throw a little side note here before we move on. Any judgment that you and I make as children of God must be restricted to those areas where the Bible gives us a very clear yes or a very clear no. Meaning that any judgment that we are going to pass, it better be biblical. Because if it's not biblical, then here's what happens. If the Bible doesn't give a very clear yes or a very clear no, then what happens, and this happens a lot, 
then our preferences, what we like, we think they're biblical. My likes, what I like has to be biblical. So we judge people based on our likes. We, we throw their preferences, what they like, out the window, and we say they're ungodly because they don't like what I like. You know what it's called? It's called sacred, sacred cows. It's called anytime we worship something and we say this is God. They did it in the Old Testament. They did it in Exodus 32. You've got to read about it sometime. When they put this cow up and they said this is our God. And this is what we do often. Or let me put it this way. If your perceived needs, what you think has to happen, is more important than the need of the lost world around you, then you are judging everything and everyone based on your own standards. Or let me say it as a church. If our needs become greater than the needs of the lost world out there, then we have written a sentence of death over our church. If we say what we need, what we have to have is more important than them having to have Jesus, then we are declaring we'd rather die. We'd rather die than change. We'd rather die than have our needs not met. Oh, that would never be the case. So again, not condemning doesn't mean you never tell people the truth. What it does mean is that when you tell people the truth, you treat them like a person and you don't push them away. Think about what Jesus did. Jesus told the truth, but then after telling the truth, Jesus didn't say, be gone. Jesus said, here's the truth, come to me. Here's the truth, draw near to me. Here's the truth, my arms are open, come. So this is the restriction against judgment, which leads us to now the second truth, the admonition for judges, or another word of saying that is the warning. What's the warning for us when we are quick to judge? And look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The problem here is determining whether Jesus' words is referring to being judged by man or being judged by God himself. And so here's what we know. In one sense, we will obviously, we are going to receive similar judgment from man. As we judge men, we're going to receive that judgment back to us. But let me speak very clearly. What we're not talking about here, we're not talking about karma. We're not talking about you get what you deserve. So just, just follow with me here. If you've, if you've used the word karma this week, here's a good word for you. Karma gets thrown out the window when you and I come into the presence of a gracious God. For in the presence of a gracious God, we don't get what we deserve. In the presence of a gracious God, we get what we don't deserve. Therefore, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful when it comes to this picture of God, we're not getting what we deserve. He's giving us grace, abundant grace, and abundant mercy. Yet, let me say this. On a human human level, we will oftentimes be treated the same way we treat other people. Every single one of us in this room knows someone who, in a figurative sense, cut throats in order to get themselves to the top position only to have their own throats cut. I mean, we know that. We see that. And the the point is, what we do, the idea is that we judge someone by insisting on a high standard for them only in the end to have that standard turn around on us. Yet the truth here is that that's not the heart of the verse. The heart of the verse or the meaning of the verse is not how will man judge us. The meaning of the verse is How will God judge us? 
for we will ultimately receive judgment from God. In the words of Dwight Pentecost, the same measuring stick that you use to measure others will be applied by God to you, and you will be measured by it. Or another, um, another way of describing this is every judgment that we make is a boomerang. Every judgment that you and I make is a boomerang. We throw it out, and it will always come back to us, every one of them. But here's the problem. The sad reality is that 99% of the judgments that we make, our judgments fall well short of the way we judge ourselves. 99% of the time, we judge other people well harsher than we judge ourselves. And let me just say it this way. If we are more enraged by someone else's sin than we are embarrassed by our own sin, then watch out. Watch out. And the judgment that Jesus is talking about is twofold. Either number one, that we're going to be chastised here on earth by God for our sinfulness. It's done according to Hebrews um, 11 and 12, and, or Hebrews 12, excuse me, and 1 Corinthians 11. It's done because he loves us. Or it's going to happen in the next life and losing our reward. In either case, when you and I look down on others in haughty judgment, we are asking God to treat us like we treat them. We're saying, God, treat me the same way I treat them. Do the same thing to me that I'm doing to them. What a terrifying response. What a terrifying declaration. And this is why humility, this is why love, this is why mercy should govern our judgments. For how in the world can we cry out to God for his mercy if we are treating other people so unmercifully? How can we say, God, I need your mercy if we refuse to show any to anyone else? Be warned. The Apostle Paul said, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. We must get to a place, brothers and sisters, where we refuse to pass final judgment on people for a few reasons. First of all, we're not God. Second of all, we fear God. We fear God and we fear the day that we will have to stand before him. And then third, we trust God. We trust that God is able to have the final word. He will have the final word, and he will do what is right. Once again, let me say it to us, God does not need our help. With the same manner that we judge, it will be measured back to us. So we have the restriction against judgment. We have the admonition or the warning for judges, and that leads us to the last truth, which is this, the foundation for judgment. What is the foundation for judgment? This whole series is called Foundations. So what is the foundation for us judging anyone? And here's where it gets good or bad first, and then it's going to get good. The foundation for judgment is who we begin with. For in order to rightly judge anyone, we must begin with the ability to rightly judge ourselves. If you cannot rightly judge yourself, then you will never be able to rightly judge anyone else. One Puritan put it this way, It is easier to cry against 1,000 sins of others than to kill one of your own. Let me say it again because you missed that. It is easier to cry out against 1,000 sins of others than to kill one of your own. Is that not so true? Good night we can put other people on the on the stand. And good night, we can tell all there is to know about them or we think we know about them. And it comes to us, and then we want mercy. Just listen to the words of Jesus here. Look with me at verses 3 through 5. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? 
Or how can you say to your brothers, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And let me say this again. The dead giveaway of how you know whether you are judging someone on the wrong foundation is this. If you are more enraged at their sin than you are embarrassed at your sin, then your foundation is either cracked or broken. Think about it. I was thinking this morning, just this morning, this dawned on me. What does the speck represent? And what does the log represent? When Jesus says, you're looking at the speck that's in your brother's eye, you have a log in your eye, what does that represent? And here's the best thing I came up with. And if if it's wrong, then, then I'm sorry it was early this morning. But I don't think it is. I think the speck represents how hard we're willing to look to find the wrong in someone else. A speck. Just a speck. But you know what we do with that speck? We dissect it, and we know everything there is to know about that speck. It shows us, shows us how hard we're willing to look to find the wrong of someone else. And then the log shows us how unwilling we are to look to find the wrong of ourselves. It shows us how much we're willing to ignore when it comes to us. And what Jesus is doing is he's confronting us for failing to start with us, for realizing we must be embarrassed in our own sin, for realizing there is a log in our eye. I love this. Jesus doesn't say, if there's a log in your eye, then deal with it. No, Jesus says, there is a log in your eye. Don't don't miss over that. Jesus is not saying, you might have a log. Jesus is saying, no, there's a log there. Every single one of us in this room, there is a log in our eyes. We have to be reminded of that. I have to be reminded of that. I have to be reminded of how wicked and evil my heart can be. I have to be reminded. Sometimes I I get people say things to me or about me, and I have to say, I have to get to a point where I can say, that's all you got? I'm way worse than that. Ask Misty. I'm way worse. I'm way worse than that. You're you're being light on me. You're being easy on me. I'm way worse than that. And I know what's happening in this moment. Some of you are going, we need to follow him more. There's more going on that we don't know about. No, no. The point of that message is focus on yourself. Focus on yourself. Don't don't miss that. Some of you are going, man, I knew it. I knew there was something about that guy. I knew he was shady. We all are. We all are. And we're all in need of the grace and mercy that God alone can give us. And therefore, when we are called to judge other people, what we realize is that we are so sinful and we are so needy and we are affected with the same disease that they're affected with. And because because of that, we start with ourselves and we stay there. And then we're able to address others. I see this happen all the time in church. You just judge me, and I'm going to judge you. All the time in church, people come to me after a service, and they say, man, that was such a good word. The whole time, all I could think about was that, that person. All I could think about is I was just praying for them the whole time that they heard it, or we come and we say, man, so-and-so should have been here. They needed that word so bad. And Here's the point. First and foremost, the word is for you. 
before anyone else. It is for you. But you know what we do? We sit in church and we go, nailed that one. I got that one covered. If only so-and-so was here. Or we're sitting there as a husband and wife and we're just elbowing like Brandy's doing right now to Dean, elbowing. Listen, Dean, pay attention. Don't miss it. I saw that, Brandy. You know, pay attention. Don't, don't miss that. I'm sorry, Dean. I'm sorry. You're a great sermon illustration. I just can't help it. But, you know, we do that. We focus on other people when the reality is, first and foremost, the word is for you. When we come to the word of God, the first question should be, God, what are you telling me? Not, how can I use this to condemn them? God, what are you telling me? Here's the point. When we see ourselves for who we truly are, only then can we see other people for where they are. And when we have reflected on our own sinfulness, and then when we have reflected upon how much God has lavished his mercy and his grace upon us, it should then impact the way we respond to others. Meaning, God, I'm under sin. You've lavished your mercy on me. So because of that, I can't look at somebody else and say, they're condemned. No, God, they need your mercy. They need your grace. They need your love. Let me say it again. Christian love is not blind. God never says, ignore the faults of others, ignore things that are not true. But God does say, take care of your own faults first. Take care of the log in your eye first. In the words of Pastor Paul Tripp, he says, sin plays havoc with our own spiritual vision. Although we are able to see the sin of others with specificity and clarity, we tend to be blind to our own sin. And the most dangerous aspect of this already dangerous condition is that spiritually blind people tend to be blind to their own blindness. Let me say it again. Spiritually blind people tend to be blind to their own blindness. Therefore, let us in this moment, with the help of God, examine ourselves. There is no judgment on earth as beneficial as judging yourself. So where do we go from here? And I thought this morning the best, way we, best place we could go from here is to the word of God. And to Psalm 139 in the words of David. In Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24, David says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We're going to end this morning. I'm actually going to, we're going to put that verse on the screen. And in just a second, we're going to repeat that together as a prayer. But before we do so, let me just ask, let me just say what we're saying. We're saying to God, not search that person next to me. God, search me. Not just part of me, not just some of my heart. God, search all of me. Know me and help me to know myself. God, try my thoughts. How am I thinking to other people? What are my thoughts concerning them? What are my thoughts concerning you, O oh God? And then, God, see if there is any grievous way in me. That's when it starts hurting. And then lead me in the way everlasting. And the way everlasting is the way of life the way of love, the way of hope, the way of help, the way of mercy, the way of grace. God, I want to go there. And I want other people to go there with me. So we're going to say this together. I'm going to ask you if you can to stand. 
And then we're going to pray together and ask the musicians to come forward as we enter into a time of invitation and consecration. But let's just say this together. As we say it, let's ask God to do this in our lives. So join me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the... ever. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And God, we are a guilty people who miss the mark, who fall short of your glory. And along the way, God, in the midst of doing that in our lives, we've gotten good at condemning everyone else. Forgive us, oh God. Forgive us. In the words of the old hymn, it's me, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me in this moment, God, standing in need of, of your forgiveness and your mercy and your grace. And thankfully, O oh God, your word says that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God, just help us to see what we've been forgiven from. Help us to see, God, how you've taken our sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west and you remember them no more. And then help us, God, in response to your mercy and your grace towards us to then desire that mercy and that grace for others regardless of what they've done to us. For what they've done to us can never, ever compare to what our sins did to you. God, search us today. Show us the condition of our hearts. Show us our thoughts. Show us our actions. So show us today, God, why we're doing what we're doing. Show us, God, how needy we are in this moment for your forgiveness. Help us to seek you for it, God. Then help us, Lord, motivated, motivated only, God, motivated by your mercy and your grace, help us then to focus on the needs of others. Focus on lifting high your truth, but lifting it high, as your word says, to speak the truth in love. Knowing, God, that we are not called to condemn. We don't have the final word you do. We are called to lift high your truth. So help us, Lord, to be able to navigate that, God, what is sometimes hard to navigate, but help us to do it with your help, with your presence, with your spirit. Finish this time today and show us again, God, just how needy we are. In Jesus' name, amen.